Hello and welcome back to another episode of We Need Therapy. On today's episode, we are joined by our first ever celebrity guest. It is our friend Ash, and she's worked as an OT in the mental health space. Today's episode, we discuss issues around social anxiety, body confidence, and Ash also discusses some of the theories behind psychology and the way that we interact with our therapists. Kick back and enjoy the show. Right, super excited this week, Jordan. Finally listened to some of the feedback about the show about bringing some feminine energy to the table. Which, to be honest, I think there's enough feminine energy between you and me. Yeah, I just got my high heels out of the closet. Are you telling me I should put those away? <laughs> We've got a real girl here, not one of you. Not one of you lot on the... <laughs> You're going to get cancelled. So you've, you've got... We have, a, we have a surprise guest. We have a special guest, our first guest on the We Need Therapy podcast. I'd love to introduce my beautiful, dearest friend, Miss Ashley, to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Now, me and Ash have a very long history together. We do. Um, I'd actually say she's probably the one person in this world that probably knows the most about me, so she's got a very special place in my heart. Yeah, a privilege. <laughs> you, you <laughs> or a burden. You always know, seem surprised by that comment. A but this, bit. I mean, this kind of feels a bit like deja vu, doesn't it? Slightly, yeah. Does anyone want to explain what's happened in the last Absolutely 48 not. hours? I'm so ashamed. So, to the listeners at home, we actually recorded this episode in full for about an hour, um, but somebody forgot to turn the microphones on. And it wasn't me. And it wasn't me. <laughs> so, it's, it's the brains behind this podcast. Or maybe- well, to be honest, uh, it was just a very shit episode and Jordan said some fucked up shit. So, I pretended the mics were off just so we can re-record. <laughs> oh, thank God. You've saved me. <laughs> I was cut. Dignity. I was yeah. cut from the episode. <laughs> I don't know why you brought me back. So we thought we'd bring you on, Ash, because you're a very lovely person. We both know you really well and you know us very well. And we'd love your viewpoint on, yeah, some some perspective on pretty much just Josh's really bad dating stories. I do. Yeah, I do know a lot about Josh's personal life and he has confided in me a lot about dating well, or the their lack that, of dating the fact that i still don't have a girlfriend probably goes to show that her advice is uh yeah not terrible any shit. yeah <laughs> you're right <laughs> we should get rid of you <laughs> so what we normally do Ash, is we do like a, a weekly kind of roundup and we just go and say stuff and then we kind of deep dive into like a really serious issue that basically no one wants to talk about and then all our listeners drop off and they never pick up the episode again <laughs> we know this because we've got data on it so <laughs> f you guys um, I am the number one fan, so I'm aware of the structure. Well, she actually is. She's given us a lot of content. From, from your perspective, what do you like about the show? Uh, oh gosh, I, I don't know. I think I just stumbled upon it and I feel obliged to have to listen to it because you're my friend. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that you guys uh, have been quite vulnerable and honest about your different perspectives and your walks of life. And I think it's interesting to see you both kind of intermingle and connect and give your perspectives on things. So. Intermingle and connect. That's our only <laughs> fan page, babe. <laughs> Keep it PG. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it, this podcast has learned a lot about my co-host and a little bit about myself, which is, yeah, it feels weird to say because you don't think that you're going to kind of discover stuff as you're just basically talking about your own life. Things. I mean, my favorite topic of conversation is myself, so I've had a lot of practice. You're good at that. You're very good at talking Thank about you. yourself. Yeah, but after two episodes on it, we've got no content left on him. So yeah. <laughs> this is why we brought you to the table, Ash. 
Need some more material. Okay, I'm ready to bring a feminine perspective. For sure. So, Ash, you live in Perth, and at the moment we have the Fringe Festival on, which Mm -hmm. is super exciting. Yeah. Fringe is my favourite time of the year, and I've been out to see a few shows this week. So, I I really like drag. So, this week I went to see Dean Misdale do, like, stand-up comedy at the Court Hotel. That was great. And then I went to see Anita Wiglet. She um, she was on Drag Race Down Under, and she's a fabulous New Zealand queen that did her life story on stage. It's pretty oh, what, cool. Was this the um, season two of Drag Race? No, it was the it was the first one, the Is original, that the one that I watched with you. Yes, it was. Yeah. What was her name? Anita Wiglet. She she was on up until episode four, so she got eliminated kind of early, but. Yeah, it was really nice to see another side of her, to see more of her, which was great. And I saw my friend uh, Sky Scraper. She's a drag queen um, at night, but during the day she works as an accountant. And wow, that's a massive juxtaposition. I know. And she kind of did that live on stage in this really small tent that was just very intimate and beautiful. Is this a plug, Jordan? No, it's not a plug because all these shows have ended and, and fuck these bitches anyway. They can make their own money. But um, th- those, were, those were things that I did this week with Fringe Festival. Have you guys seen anything that you'd like to go and watch? I have I have not been paying attention to Fringe. I'm going to be completely honest. I, I am really not with it at the moment and I have not been keeping up to date with what's new in Fringe I could tell you what was new in Fringe maybe two, three years ago. Oh, that's really helpful if you're in the fucking TARDIS. <laughs> I, we don't want to be a topical podcast. We want the here and I now. Know. Stop living in the past. Well, you've picked someone very irrelevant to come on the podcast, but I, I'm, I'm up for seeing things. I like comedy shows. I saw an amazing interactive play a few years ago. I don't know if you guys saw it. Was that the one it. that we went together? Was that the um, flight simulator in I the sea with, container? No, oh, no, I didn't go, no. go with you at um, oh, no, we went us. together. <laughs> we went to Seance, which was like no, no, not Seance. It was a, it was oh, flight. Oh, it was no, just called flight. flight. Yeah, yeah. They have flight, Seance, and another one. They're all the fucking the same. It's in like a shipping container. It's an audio visual sensory deprivation kind of bit of everything. Did you rate it? Uh yeah, it was good. Oh my god, you I sound Did I remember because we went on. Because we went to it together and they separated us from the start. That's right. And then you put the headphones on. And it goes pitch black. Yeah. 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 It was scary. My um, most memorable fringe show was this interactive play a few years ago called A Midnight Visit. It was in like an old abandoned school in East Perth and it was quite creepy. You got split up from your group and got put into different groups and get let loose in this school and there's different segments of like a play going on at any different time throughout the school. And it was based on Edgar Allan Poe poems. So like... Yes, I went cat. to that one. Did you? That's yes. Still, is, that, is that still ongoing? I'd love to do something like that. No, it was an amazing theatre performance that, yeah, yeah, they only did once. But um, that was like what I remember. It basically ran every night of Fringe and it was like, you cannot miss this. Yeah, that was, that was a total standout. Someone took me on a first date on oh my God. to that. Um, and are you, are you still together? No, no, <laughs> no. I I was actually really happy. I wasn't enjoying the date. I, I mean, he like he paid for the ticket. He introduced me to, to an amazing show, but we got split up throughout the whole time, oh, so we is... didn't spend any time together. Fantastic. Thank, thank he would God. have been kicking himself. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and I I I kind of I, I kind of let that linger. Like I just enjoyed like exploring yeah. the. Did you end up hooking up with someone else that went to the show? Like that would. Be- <laughs> Yeah. He just turns the corner and I'm like hooking up with someone else in the ball pit. <laughs> Why not? One of the actors. Get it yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I'm a bit irrelevant, unfortunately. 
What about you, Josh? I feel like fringe just comes up so quickly. You know, you got the silly season, you got the start of the year, and then bang, fringe starts. And unless you're ready for it, it usually takes a good two to three weeks before I head to my first show. Yeah. What, what type of shows do you like to go to, apart from the ones that I drag you to? I was going to say, we've been to quite a few. Yeah, because I, I'm really big on fringe. So if anyone wants to catch up with me during... January, February, we're going to a fringe show. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I love the circus stuff. Like, I, okay. I love acrobats and just people doing weird shit with their bodies. Mm. Maybe because it turns me on. I don't know. I, you you got hypnotized one year, didn't you? And oh, you, yeah, that's you, right. You claim that you were you were fully hypnotized and yeah. it completely worked How on did you. I do that with? That wasn't during fringe. No, no, that was during a work event. No, twice. You and I got hypnotized by the same guy at a work event. That's right. But earlier in the year, I got hypnotized with this guy. One-on-one at, at home in your bedroom apartment. <laughs> I think it's bullshit, actually. Do you remember... Because he was hypnotized? acting like a complete and utter clown. So you're telling me that's, that's <laughs> Not, the real normal? him? Because I'll believe that. <laughs> So we can say the name of the hypnotist. It was Matt Hale. Matt Hale, wasn't yeah. it? I think he's incredible and his show is so much fun. Of well, he basically eyes. programmed that in your brain. Yeah. So, of course, you're going to think he's fucking great. <laughs> tell us what you really think. Do you, do you remember it when we did it? Yeah, I've done it twice. I did it in a fringe show and I was pretty deep under. I did it with us when we did the work event and I was like somewhat under... Uh, but yeah, what were your experiences? Yeah, it was great. I was fully under for both. I think it's a combination of just like pure mindfulness, relaxation, and then also that social pressure as well around, oh shit, I've got to get myself into a meditative state. Otherwise he's going to kick me off the stage, which he does. Like, Yeah, he literally, he literally does. But yeah, I, I remember everything and I just remembered feeling the sense of being high or like my body was on a cloud. And if he were to tell me to do something that I didn't want to do, I feel like I would have been cognizant to not do it. Yeah. Um, but there was a few things where he made me pass out in front of everyone at the fringe show and I just completely lost my feet. And that, that was the moment where I was like, oh, fuck, okay, yeah. Yeah, I felt the same. I felt like I was doing everything because I wanted to and it was for the audience and it was I was at a fringe show and I wanted to do it. So there was that element of, yeah, I'm fine. But if I really wanted to say no, I thought I could have. Yeah. However, I had one of those moments as well where he put me under and I basically fell to the left. My mouth was um, all floppy and you're in that meditative, meditative sleep state. He put the microphone up and said, what's your name? And instead of saying my name, I just went. Wow. And that was the first time I realized, wow, I haven't actually got any control over my mouth. Like it feels like I'm asleep basically. And yeah, that was real because I was trying to speak. Yeah, wow. So I, because I would say just looking at it that nah, this is fake. These are the kind of people that they like attention. There's a bit of social tick. pressure. Tick. Fits the bill for tick, Josh. Tick, 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 tick. tick. And you, I mean, we, we went up on stage immediately and yeah. the guy hadn't even fucking yeah. got yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Hands straight up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We should take you, we should put you under. We should do it. That'd be a good experiment. I'm, it's, I'm and really... I, I remember after it, you just feel so amazing. I feel like I would be a little bit close-minded to the experience. Like mm. if I'm in like a yoga class, for example, and at the end we do five to ten minutes of mindfulness, I really struggle to switch off and just sit there and be mindful. I'm wiggling really? my toes. I know, yeah, you wouldn't think that. No, but actually, you are quite highly strong, so yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> do you know what, Ash? I totally agree with that point. I, I feel like that's me to a T. When we do mindfulness at the end of whatever, like a group fitness class, 
by the way, I haven't done a group fitness class. We're coming up to seven years, so I don't know where that oh, came from. <laughs> but I want to take out my phone and start planning my day. Mm-hmm. I want to start talking to the friends that I know I'm catching up with in 15 mm-hmm. minutes. Like, yep. I just can't seem to switch off. Yeah, no, I'm totally the same. It's so funny because they always ask, if you want to leave, leave now. And I always stay because I'm like, no, I should do this. This is good for me. But my attitude towards it is just shit. I just I know. sit there and then you like. spend the whole time thinking, I should have fucking left. Yeah, I should have fucking left. Like looking at the door, thinking about plotting, could I escape quietly right now? Yes. Oh my God, you guys are terrible. Yeah, I'm so not mindful. I'm. And I was a mental life. health OT yeah. at one point in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why they fired you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They let me go. They had to let me go. I was too highly strung and I stressed out the patients. So, what, I mean, what's everyone's journey with mindfulness? Because, I mean, this is the We Need Therapy podcast. Josh, we've spoken a little bit, little bit about your experiences with trying to be mindful and being, I guess, part of that is like being comfortable being alone, right? Mm, and I think I'm, I'm in the intermediate phase of my recovery with mental health and I'm exploring all different types of yoga and breath work and journaling. And Yeah, you have been doing that. Mm. And typically things that are very, um, not sedentary, I'm thinking of like, Solitary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, yes, solitary. Solitaire. Solitaire. It's <laughs> okay. Are you playing solitaire, babe? It's really good I'm for I'm more anxiety. of a Mahjong fan. <laughs> no, but like this solitary task, right? So yeah. How have you been going with all that? Yeah, fine. I feel like I'm starting to be more comfortable with being by myself. I think what you're referring to was probably about three or four years ago where I was telling you about a, a challenge that my psych told me to do. That's right. And she was like, because you're so ingrained with being around people, like I'll be out for dinner four to five times a week. Mm, um, that's true. On the weekend, I'll pack myself in with two or three people. Oh. Not in a sexual That way. sounds a little bit... <laughs> <laughs> We've revealed something. <laughs> so she gave me the challenge of you know going on holiday by myself, deleting everything off my phone and just being grounded and having to occupy myself for 36 to 48 hours. So what did that? Hey, did you do that? Yeah. I went up North, um, booked an Airbnb at Wedge and just went off, off the grid offline for a whole weekend, Friday through to Sunday. What was going on in your head? Like during that time, I had to occupy myself. Like I would Google things to do and it would almost be quite routine like so between this time and this time i'm going to do this and then this time and this time i'm going to do this mm. i'm going to go for dinner here and i'm going to order this right so very d- ot scheduling mm, because I, I i think i couldn't handle the the fact of not having any plans or having to deal with my thoughts around being by myself for a period of time that i'd have mm. to distract myself yeah that sounds really difficult do you feel like you you fully lent into the experience though with all that scheduling that you did because was that your way of like kind of trying to establish some control over yeah, your time yeah, yeah. when it feels like the original challenge was just to kind of literally just be there? Yeah, 100%. And I guess the other coping mechanism that I had was I just listened to podcasts yeah. where it's sort of still interactions with other people. Yeah. That's kind of funny because when we did uh, my schemas or the... I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was just discovering the way my brain likes to work, the way I soothe myself. My psych said I was a distractive, detached self-soother. And he said that listening to podcasts 
Netflix, going on your phone, like just that needing an object just to take you out of your life for a second. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have felt similar things. 100%. Mm. I will always put something on Netflix. I'll put, I'll put a podcast on. I've actually really enjoyed putting your podcast on and just pottering around the house <laughs> and doing things. It's better than putting it on and then drifting to sleep. <laughs> a bit of white noise. Yeah. Or I'll go out and I'll see a friend and I'll just distract myself. I guess in one way, you know, if you're avoiding something to a point where it's destructive and you're not facing issues, it's distraction and avoidance. But then on another hand, you can look at it and say that you're being mindful and you're in the moment and, mm. you know, seeing people or you're immersing yourself in a podcast, you know, it's it, anything can be helpful or unhelpful when you look at it a different lens. Absolutely. I think that the key was the self-soothing is like, mm. I need that phone, that application, whatever I'm on, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or could even be grinder at some point it feels like if i close that application down then i have to do with my reality mm. and i don't want to so mm. i keep it open i just keep watching videos those reels and i'm like i know that at one point this video is going to end but it's just not going to end right now mm. yeah i think even for me like if i wake up in the morning and i don't have any messages or notif- notifications on my phone i feel physically sick that day yeah. oh you know what i fully relate to that yeah can you give us any examples of like moments when you felt well, that? Well, it doesn't happen often. I'd say it would happen maybe once or twice a year. But it's almost like every time I wake up, I'm excited to reach first thing for my phone, see who's messaged me overnight, see my notifications, get that fixed before I start the day. You have an unfathomable amount of conversations going on with multiple people at different times. You you talk to a lot of people at once, Josh. And they're all talking to different personalities <laughs> in your head. <laughs> Yeah, well, and that's another coping strategy. Like, I don't really watch Netflix or I don't really do... Yeah, which I find amazing about Josh because I've known you for, what, four years Mm. now? Constantly, I'm saying, like, have you seen the latest series of The Crown Mm. or the latest series of, um, I don't know, Stranger Things? And Mm -hmm. you're like, I don't watch TV. I just don't get it. Yeah, yeah. For someone who we're so similar in the way that our minds are, like, working overdrive and we're looking for distractions, I don't understand how you cannot find that the biggest distraction of all is Netflix. I don't know. I think mine is just social interaction. So if I'm sitting on the couch, I I need to have like an hour of screen time when I get home from work just to reply to conversations. And if, you know, if I'm bored, then I'll fire out, you know, five or six different conversations with different people. Mm. Most of the time it's just meaningless shit. I just want that fix of having a notification come back my way around, you know, someone wants to talk to me. You know what I think of Josh? You're story about when you went to Paris when you traveled by yourself Mm. can you tell us about that yeah so with my social anxiety it doesn't fascinate too much here in Australia because I'm quite well connected but when I'm overseas or if I'm in a place where I don't know anyone that my anxiety can tend to bubble away Mm. and last year I had a panic attack in Paris because no, it was the second leg of my trip the first leg of my trip I was with friends and I knew I had three days where I was by myself in a foreign country, no plans or, or structure or what to do. And um, it sort of just bubbled away. I don't know if you guys have been to Paris. Mm, I yeah. have, yeah. Beautiful city, but... Busy city. It's a lonely a, city. It's a very lonely. It's a city of love. There's, you know, pickpocketers. It's very overwhelming. You don't speak the language. They tend to, you know... I feel like there's also, like, a lot of shit on the floor and not a dog in sight. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a saying? Is that like <laughs> no, a, a proverb? I, I, 
<laughs> just a comment. There no, no, yeah, of... it's, it's a very dirty, dirty yeah. city. Is that, is that a euphemism or literally? <laughs> no, like... literally, literally. Oh, okay. That was my experience when I when I came there. I was like, oh, there's a there's a lot of poo on the floor, but I don't see any dogs around. Yeah. So so anyway, I, I checked into my my hostel and my anxiety levels were, were kind of peaking. I remember I was in the hotel at the airport because I had a late night flight and I had to do a lot of mindfulness and meditation because, you know, my anxiety was bubbling away about these next three days and what I possibly would have to do. Got to the hostel, checked in, and it was a very busy hostel. It's one of the popular ones where you expect to have people around and make friends easily. Checked into the hostel. This is about two o'clock in the afternoon. Put my stuff in my room. Had a dorm of eight people. None of them were in. And in that anxious state, I thought, oh, shit, I've, I've got a dud here. This is going to be terrible. When in reality, it's 2 p.m. Yeah. The, mm. Everyone's out. Half of them haven't checked in. The ones that have are like, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I ended up going to Montmartre up on the mountain and I needed to have lunch. But I was in that much of an anxious state that I couldn't make a decision. And I spent two hours walking around from restaurant to restaurant trying to psych myself up around, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to this one. Oh, God. Um, eventually chose somewhere and they spoke French to me and my French is no good. And, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, it started to bubble, 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 bubble to the point where I went to this tourist attraction and I just completely just wigged out. There was people everywhere. The thoughts were around, oh, I'm all by myself here. I'm not safe here. This is going to be a terrible three days. Oh, God, that sounds um, horrible. It's awful. And it got to the point where I had to... Well, I was messaging one of my friends in Australia just to get that connection. and then I she... think you messaged me as well. Yeah, yeah I messaged a few people. Mm. Um, he didn't respond to me instantly, so I ended up FaceTiming someone else. And she just gave me like a, a big pep talk. Um, and it was enough to bring me down ever so slightly. And then it went back to the hostel, signed up for this beer pong competition mm. that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, all right, I'm going to find some friends here. This is like, This is going to be the way to go. Walked around for a bit, still by myself, and I was like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen if I don't meet anyone at this beer pong. Like, all the thoughts and ideas came into my head. And then the, the crazy thing is, like, I, I did the competition, made a friend, and me and her hung out for the next three days, and I was completely fine. Mm. Like, it, it, it's almost like that experience in itself sort of fueled that need for me to have that connection. Mm. Like, it was almost like a negative reinforcement because I completely just disregarded my anxiety for the rest of the trip because I was fine because I had someone. Yeah. So your need was met when a person, you had some social connection and then Mm. you didn't feel those feelings anymore. So it all just kind of reinforced that you need to be around people. Otherwise you're lonely. Yeah. It's almost like the last minute or the last moment you were saved by someone, which is a good thing because you want that connection. But then ultimately if that person didn't come in, at that moment, what would the next three days have looked like? Well, I had a similar thing in Ibiza. Like I, that two days that I was there, I didn't make any friends. And it got to the point where I had convinced myself that I had become really sick as an excuse to justify to myself uh, yeah. that I didn't make any friends here. So I, I fully understand that. You're mm. like protecting yourself, mm. your ego of like, yeah, it must be hard because... You know, we, we joke about it on the podcast, but, you know, you're a popular guy here. You've got a lot of friends, a lot mm. of stuff going on. Yeah. And so you take that and you put it in a different context in another country and it's like, hang on a minute. No one wants to hang out with me. Yeah. 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 I, um, I, I, I fully understand that. And I mean, I didn't even know that story about you. You mm. didn't tell me that you had the... Oh, sorry. No, no, I'm not, no I just You're just met... not a good enough friend, John. I just, yeah. I... You, you were actually in Barcelona at the time on your own little... 
Yeah, so um, I was in Barcelona. I was with my partners. We did uh, we did a circuit party over there or a circuit festival. But you know, like I had my own mental health struggles as well during that time. We spoken about how circuit is, you know, it's this kind of beast that's bigger than itself. It's all encompassing or encompassing. I don't know which one. Encompassing. Encompassing. You know, you go into circuit festival for a week, you're thrown into this world where the only colors are just neon bright Mm. ends of the spectrum. But, you know, I've spoken about it before, like with the, the whole body image stuff, like when you're surrounded by people who basically, you know, if you're looking at a magazine, they're the centerfolds, you know, that comes with its own share of things that you start to dwell on. So, for me, it wasn't necessarily about connection. It was more about body image. And mm. I really, I had moments when I really struggled with body image, particularly the first night we went to one of the um, parties. So for context, these parties have like 5,000 people. Mm. They are the biggest super clubs in Europe and they even spill out, you know, not onto the street, but onto the car park yeah. overflows. It's just thousands upon thousands of people that basically are all shirtless a lot of people don't wear shorts so it's kind of just you know it's underwear basically tell us about the costumes uh, the costumes yeah well um we had um we had costumes that were themed nights and then there was just general nights but essentially it was you know you would put together something like a, a harness or short shorts or you might wear like a bit of makeup or you know, it, it depends on, on what the theme is. But, you know, we try to dress as a group, so that often gets a lot of attention and as it's well. It's usually like as little clothes as possible. Mm. And every, every inch of your body is on display, right? Yeah. Even the smallest inches. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, yeah, basically. You've obviously got to cover, cover up the private areas. Um, but, yeah, people are there to peacock. They're there to have fun. They're there to be known and to be shown. So I don't think I could do an environment like that. that yeah. It's such a mental thing because I remember the first night we went out and um, yeah, I, I basically, um, I don't even know what it was, but for 20, 30 minutes, I just fully shut down. I walked through the door. We, we went to the cloakroom, got into our costumes and I just kind of went, you know what? Like, I can't be here. There's too many people. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel like I belong here. It, it was just this feeling of mm. what have I done? And because I'd signed up for a week of this, I was like, well, and we spent thousands of dollars on circuit. Like it was kind of like, well, not only have I signed up for a week, but I just spent like five grand on this. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was really hard. It shocks me to hear that because seeing you and the way that you conduct yourself, you seem like to me someone who's quite confident and confident in your skin and, you know, like settled with who you are. So to hear you say that, I feel like it it shocks me and it would shock other people in your life. Yeah, I I see what you mean. Like online, when we, we go to mm. Circa or travel around the world, it's very like this is what we're wearing. This is where we are. This is who we're with. It's very, um, I don't know. It's just very that it's, it's a side of my reality Mm. that is real. Like I am confident in those moments, but what I don't post about is the hour that we spent looking at which costume to wear and Mm. me kind of putting on something for 30 minutes before realizing my stomach looks bad or I don't like my legs or for me, I'm always conscious about how white my skin is. It's so stupid because it's just the skin that I was born with, but mm. you know, like I want to be tanned. I mm. want to look beautiful. I want to, I don't know. I want to be part of the group that yeah. is, yeah. you know, that is circuit, that is my relationship, that is everything. So 
Does it feel like it's based on, you know, your self-talk before you go into those parties or is it more like how much feedback and validation that you'd get from others at the party? Oh, look, I reckon the feedback and the validation is almost like a negative thing. Like it just really feeds into it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially presented as a three, you know, it's not the normal. Mm. So people are drawn to give feedback and stuff Mm. and the feedback is overwhelmingly positive people say like you look a certain way Mm. it's nice to see people interacting like this you know we have a weird situation so i don't know we get a lot of people talking to us about it but then it almost feels that need to be oh i need to be like this because that's what people instead of feeling the need of like oh i look great or you know i'm on the right track yeah i get like no i just need more of this but i still feel quite empty yeah so a lot of your identity and your self-worth is kind of caught up in your image Mm. Definitely. And I I fully understand that I wish it wasn't this way. Like Mm. I'm talking to my psych about how, you know, I can break that cycle. Mm. But yeah, it's still a big part of me, which kind of pisses me off Mm. because I don't want it to be. I mean, Simo, we've both talked about themes around that negative feedback loop around our lives, just fueling more of our insecurities and anxieties. But yeah, we we love that part of our lives that it's almost hard to break away from that. Yeah. And I hate that I love it. It's almost like the it's a social media thing. Mm. I spend so much time on Instagram and I know it's really bad, but I still love it. Mm. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm I'm totally the same. I, you flick through my Instagram, it's just fashion page after fashion page and definitely there's more diversity in it, you know, now seeing different shapes and sizes and, you know, like people with bodies similar to me, but the overwhelming amount of content with someone with the ideal size breasts or perfect stomach mm. or butt, a big butt mm. is really in at the moment. It totally is. Yeah. And, you know, I find myself thinking, oh, how many squats in the gym do I have to do to get a booty like that? But when really I should just be kind of accepting myself for who I am. So I feel like I don't want to do, I don't want to turn this into like a parent blaming session. <laughs> But but I feel like um, growing up, my mum was very focused on looks and appearance. And, you know, she's 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 a very, like, elegant-looking lady, but she would often kind of um, give me a lot of praise and feedback if I was slimmer. Okay. Mm. And I was actually a little bit of a chubby kid. So when I lost weight, I got a lot of praise from her. I got a lot of praise from my classmates. Yeah, so I feel like I really relate to that sense of having to, you know, look your best and... You know, I associate some of my worth with that and, you know, I'm fearful sometimes of gaining weight because I worry what others would think about me. So. And it, it's amazing how an innocuous comment like that from your mum, which mm. is a very innocent comment, can mm. turn into something so serious down the track in terms of the way that you see yourself. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's as well, like, I guess in society, thinking about weight or attractiveness, particularly weight, it's like, it's generally accepted that to be thinner and and fit mm. and doing exercise is a good thing. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm a physiotherapist. I know all the research behind exercise. So it's like when someone, you know, is exercising and they're losing weight, it's almost like you want to say, hey, you look great. Keep doing it. You're putting in the hard yards and it's great. Mm. But then even a comment like that can turn into something you know, later is like you basically reinforce that pattern that I had yeah. to be skinny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Josh, you went through a body transformation, I would say, <laughs> in the last couple of years. In what way? I just mean more, you know, you, you started hitting the gym and you started working out more and, you know, 
you had some noticeable changes in your body. Do you feel like you were treated any differently after that? Um, I don't, I don't know. I almost want to challenge what you said there around noticeable changes because I don't think I have noticed much change. Are you looking for some compliments? I'm going to chime in here. (laughs) I do remember when you went through your gym craze phase. I I remember, I recall, I remember once you took your shirt off and I was like, hot dang, like Mm. shoulders, um, you know, you had very tight stomach. Mm. I'm definitely guilty of being, you know, giving you a lot more compliments when I noticed you, your muscles were growing, I'll, I'll admit that. I was going to say, I haven't heard many compliments recently. So, <laughs> yeah. But then you also had like, I mean, the flip side of that is you had a back injury mm. and yeah. you couldn't, you couldn't go to the gym. Yeah. And I found it quite crippling and it's even to the point now where I'm like, oh, I'm going to quit the gym because I just don't enjoy going anymore. Mm. Um, Cause in my head, I, I didn't really noticed any changes at all. So Yeah, wow. But it's similar. And before you were going to say that, I was going to say the same thing back to you. Like I often compliment you about your beauty and how you look. And mm. I was going to ask the question if comments that I make towards you, do, does that impact you or does that fuel? I don't think I've ever really actively thought about it that hard until this moment. But yeah, I, I think, you know, I like makeup. I like clothes I'll definitely you know enjoy doing myself up and you know when we go out to things I do I I would say I do feed off compliments you know from friends and I especially notice when I'm not wearing makeup I don't get compliments but when I do wear makeup you know people will say oh you know like you look really pretty today or or whatnot or I remember I I went to work one day and I had put effort into my hair. I'd used like a curler and normally I come to work and my hair is just like a total Mm. bird's nest and I just chuck it up. I don't care. And someone was like, oh, your hair looks amazing. You should do it like that every day. And I just had this thought of like, do I really want to spend an extra 20 minutes every morning preening my appearance to kind of be enough for others or get validation, Mm. you know? So, So, yeah, like I think I don't think like I've actively thought about it being like a negative thing but i think deep down it's fuel yeah and it's a systemic thing it's not just i don't think it's just me i think it's you know how society as a whole praises you know looks and appearance a very good weight and you know whatever yeah absolutely i i mean i go to the i get my hair cut like every three weeks because i just like the way it's a neat and it looks good and you know you you walk out the hairdressers you're like okay this is how i want to look all the time Mm. You I do have good hair. Well, <laughs> thank you. He's going to go every two weeks now. Yeah, 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 yeah every two weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I fully understand that. And it's like, I don't know where I sit with that. I want the compliments. Mm. I know that long term, yeah, it's not good. I always think, what if you were to pick me up, put me on a remote island where I didn't have access to hairdressers or you know, working out or whatever it is. Instagram. Like what would happen to my looks? What would happen to my body? What would happen to my mental health? Like if I couldn't be surrounded by the people that I need every day, the distractions that I need, the phones, the iPads, like mm. it's like, what would happen? I feel like an amazing social experiment for an illegal for TV program. <laughs> but yeah, what would happen? I feel like that would depend on if you're with someone, With if you're with people, I think you know, you would probably make the most of it. You'd have like a little Blue Lagoon situation going on, you know, with Brooke Shields. You guys seen that movie? No, sorry. Oh my gosh, am I really that old? It's like a film from the 70s um, and these kids get washed up on this shore. They kind of start this like community 
um, between them and, you know, they, they're hunter-gatherers. It's quite a cute film. It's a bit taboo because Brooke Shields is like 14 and pretty much naked. But yeah, it's it a was classic a, it film. It was a bit like that. Like, yeah, even in the 90s, like, yeah. yeah. I, I totally understand it. It's like, what the fuck were we watching? Yeah, I know, right? How is this socially acceptable? And they were always in like movies or TV shows alongside these basically adult males. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the time I'm like, what's going on? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. But saying that, I feel like if you were by yourself, you would go insane really quickly, like really quickly. My um, One of my partner's friends was doing the, the Bibbleman track by himself. You know, that, that long stretch of track yeah, in Perth where people walk. Southwest. Yeah. yeah. I think it took him like eight weeks in total to do that. And there were periods where he didn't see people for maybe three or four days. And in the night he got out of his tent, he thought he was hearing voices and hearing people in the bushes and he started, you know, yelling into the bushes, you know, I can hear you in there. What? Yeah, yeah. So it didn't take long. He full on had a psychotic break. Yeah, yeah. It didn't take long wow. before he went insane. So I feel like if if you were on an island by yourself, you'd go insane very quickly. If you were with others, you'd probably make do. You wouldn't be thinking about appearance so much and you would just be like a little community, hunter-gatherer community. I guess it depends on the type of person. Yeah. I feel like me and Josh in particular have, have mentioned today about how much we need social interaction. So we're, we're done for within 48 hours. Like we're gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're but if you're the, dead. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're quite extroverted people yeah. on a whole. Like, but if you're a really introverted person and you've got that drive to survive or whatever, like you could thrive. Yeah. There's mm. some people that love doing that, just going off the grid and vegging out and doing whatever in isolation and mm. being completely fine without other people. Yeah, so some people really do enjoy that, which is... I've never met any of them, but they, they exist, apparently. I reckon there'd be a scale. Some people within 24 hours would go absolutely insane, like you would, Josh, you would, Jordan. And then other people, I think it would take a few months, but they would start to lose their marbles. You are fully, like, pushing this kind of yeah. theory that everyone's going to go insane and everyone's going to snap and start yelling at the bushes. By themselves, yeah, definitely. Oh, okay. Definitely. Yeah, I'd, I I'd probably like... agree with that theory. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you build up the chain. There's oh, that need go. for connection right. and human interaction. OT, OT. <laughs> so we've been really honest. I feel like everyone's been pretty honest. Um, I know when I was talking about my issues with body confidence and self image and kind of fitting into that social norm, it's something that I've spoken about a lot with my psych and it's something that I, I see great value, but it's funny when I go to talk about those issues, like more situational stuff, I felt uncomfortable in this situation. I felt out of place in that situation instead of like talking about how they were playing out, how they could happen differently, which is what I always expected psych would be. We just keep doing a deep dive into me, sometimes into ways that like, I don't see the relationship, but mm-hmm. it kind of comes later on. It's always about discovering. Is it always coming back to what your values are and your beliefs? Yeah. And always in childhood or like that developmental period of like five to kind yeah. of like 15. Mm. So weird how it all links back. It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Oh. Do you ever feel like sometimes as well, I don't know, I, I feel like in my psych sessions, I will go off talking on tangents and sometimes it's useful and it's productive and it's, 
you know, there's something that to work with that's relevant. But then sometimes you might use it as like an avoidance tactic as well where oh, totally. <laughs> you're just talking about random bits because you don't actually want to get to the crux of what's really hurting you. My psych sessions are like, I haven't seen a long lost friend and I'm catching up. And my psych's like, okay, let's talk about something meaningful, not... Yeah. Yeah. You would really need someone. Who I need that direction. Yeah. I do too. So Ash, what's what's your experiences been of psych? Do you want to tell us? Are yeah. you comfortable sharing that? Yeah, of course. I am um, I've seen a couple of psychs in the past. I saw I saw one lady who um did some schema therapy but kind of mixed it with compassion therapy. So you you talk a bit about schema therapy, right, Jordan, mm. on on the pod, but um I guess schema therapy are kind of like blueprints or ways that you see yourself that developed in, um, you know, childhood. So, you know, it might be the belief that everyone you love is going to leave you or um, it might be the belief that you don't fit in. And yes, that yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. And you, you do a questionnaire to kind of figure out a really long 200 question questionnaire to figure out what these schemas are. Yeah. Um, and then you look at the ways that they're kind of impacting your life. And I initially saw a lady that kind of mixed um, schema therapy and compassion therapy together. And I don't know if you guys have done much or heard much about compassion therapy. No, what's that? It's gross. Like, I mean, it's very useful. It's very useful. Don't get me wrong. And it's probably yeah, because of the visceral response that I have to it, it's probably a, a good indicator that I need to lean into it more. So what is it? It's about loving yourself and it's about, you know, bringing warm feelings towards yourself and um, she would do a lot of kind of like schema imagery, so looking into like my childhood and thinking about certain moments in my life where I didn't feel loved and showing myself that love and it was quite... um, I don't know. I think I have done you have that, yeah, yeah. With, with a psych at one stage. I had to yeah. visualize a picture of myself as a child, yeah, and then the negative thoughts that I had, I had to say it to the child. Right. Whoa, that yeah. Is okay. Deep. Yeah. 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 I think that's some kind of like imagery work, mm. and then I think the compassion stuff comes into kind of sending love towards yep. yourself. Yeah. And, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. To be honest, I don't think I gave it enough of a a, a go. I mm. felt very uncomfortable with it and I shifted to another psych later that focused more on still schema therapy but more CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy, so like thought challenging and, and whatnot. And um, I think I found that a lot more helpful because it was a bit more black and white. Is it more directive? Yeah, yeah. So, my, like I really like my psych. He's a young gay guy mm. and I feel a lot of – we have a lot of similarities, mm. but it's very much like a discovery of what's happening with me, but no direction in my life. And we are one of the things that I feel like I'm seeking is for him to be like, give this a go. Mm. Like Take these control. are some strategies, like mm. not necessarily you have to do this, mm. which would be illegal, but more like, you know, this is a direction where I, you should consider. Yeah. Yeah. No. Maybe CBT. Yeah, maybe the, I think that maybe. comes down the track because I started with a lot of that compassion and unpacking and understanding my self beliefs, and mm-hmm. then over the three year period now that I've been working with my psych, she's starting to give me challenges or homework or activities to do. Maybe it's more of a progression thing. I'm higher up on the scale than you are. 
Yeah, maybe for the first time ever. I, I think that's true. I think, yeah, you're, the more comfortable your psych feels with you, the more they'll start calling you out and challenging you and whatnot, which I, I actually tend to prefer. But then I feel like there are some psychs out there that are that take that more, I don't know, airy-fairy, compassionate, um, you know. It's uh, like counselling, reflective role. Yeah, client-directed mm. kind of approach. And I don't know, I feel like personally for me, I prefer a bit of structure. I want my psych to be, you know, my daddy. Wow. <laughs> there's, a, <laughs> there's a whole... That was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? No, no. At saying that, all of my psychs have been female. And um, so... But I, what I mean is... I, you I want someone like, to give you a bit more of a direction and yeah. to be that voice of like professionalism and authority and like all 100%. of that stuff. I want, I want to feel like I can trust them. Ex- yeah. yeah I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I thank you for, for sharing your experiences and it's actually really good to have someone on the show that has a Knowledge. bit of a background of mental health and could explain some of the themes that we were going through. It was amazing and incredible having you on the show. I almost think we should have her on again, what do you think? More importantly, do I want to be back on the show after this experience? Oh, no, you have no consent. Like, <laughs> this we, is a this bl- is why we don't have a waiver form before bringing people onto the show. This is a bloody car crash. You just wait to see how the episode trends. Um, <laughs> no, we are very thankful. Thank you, Ash, for coming on. And, and we hope to see you in the future and, and to bring some of your knowledge around that mental health space and um, yeah, understanding some of the theories behind the the therapies that are used on us or we engage with. So thank just, you very much. Just a disclaimer, I haven't been a mental health OT for like five years, I'm guys. Still I'm not more an expert. qualified than either of us who have a mental health categorized podcast. <laughs> yeah, true, true. This is true. Yeah. Well we have a we have a comedy characterized podcast and none of us have said anything fucking funny in weeks. So. Yeah, this one's been a bit of a downer. Oh, they always are. They always are. <laughs> Um, All right, so that's it for this week's episode. Um, As always, we love and appreciate feedback, so you can reach out to me or Josh at socials, which are always in the episode notes. Um, And, yeah, we're open to suggestions as well. So we're going to do our famous sign-offs. Josh is always kind of the same. I never have anything to say. I'm going to put you on the spot, Ash, as well. So we're going to go in that order. All right, well, thank you, everyone, for listening, and toodle-doo. (laughs) Ciao, ciao. Bye for now.